Joshua. This has been called a life lived for God. Um, and last week we were in Joshua chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. You guys know I love a good review, so of course we're going to do a little review of last week just in case you missed out. So the message last week was titled, Come Up, Come Up. And it was in that message that we looked at the three different layers of application in the Bible. And what God revealed to us was, first of all, there was the, the first one was historical the historical application of the scripture. Now, take note that the, the Bible is basically a historical record. It is an historical record of the accurate accounts of what took place in human history. And what's really cool about the Bible and the supernatural aspect of scripture really shines in this moment when you realize the fact that God's using actual literal people, really events to display and teach us things that we would otherwise struggle to comprehend. It's really remarkable. So as we walk through this passage of scripture, what we see is the fact that God is literally taking physical examples and he's using those physical examples as historical examples to teach us biblical truth. Okay. So in that message, what we saw was Historically speaking, what's happened? They've crossed the Jordan, right? Everyone has come across. The only people that are left are the four priests that are standing in the middle of the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River at this point in time is a, is a dry riverbed. And what happens is Joshua says to them, come up. He calls them up out of the Jordan. Then doctrinally, we looked at the exact same passage. We looked at it from a prophetic standpoint. And we saw here, now prophetically what means is God simply showing through this application, he's showing us the deep things that he wants us to understand. It's kind of like pulling back the veil. God kind of pulls back the curtain and kind of shows us, hey, there's some really cool stuff I want to show you in the scripture. And I'm going to do it through this doctrinal work. And one of the verses that I think is a great example of that, which is really kind of a cool way that God shows you this is how he works. If you go to a chapter to Ephesians chapter five, verse 23, what's interesting or 32, and what's interesting about Ephesians, now if you've ever been in marriage counseling with me, guess what? We spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5 because guess what? Ephesians chapter 5 is where God defines the roles of husband and wife. And he walks through them. This is what a husband is to be. And then he walks through, this is what a wife is to be. And this is how the two of them work together. This is how this marriage thing works. And then at the very end of this in Ephesians chapter 5, look at he throws this little ditty in right here. It says this, and this is a great mystery. He says, guess what? I'm getting ready to tell you something you didn't see. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, so while I'm speaking to you about your roles as husbands and wives, simultaneously, I'm also teaching you all something really cool. I'm showing you that the traits of this husband are modeled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the traits of the bride, the church, they're to be modeled in, in this example of the wife. So we see here simultaneously God's teaching this. So we see in this crossing, yes, the instructions were given, and yes, the people are crossing. They're, they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do. But what we saw was simultaneously, while God's telling us about the historical thing, he's also telling us, hey, guess what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the second coming of, of the Lord. And so we saw in that situation that God was, in this situation here, he was going to call the priests. He was going to call them up out of the Jordan, right? Now what happens? The Lord's going to call us priests, right? The Bible says we're to be priests. God's going to call us up and out of this place of judgment, where we are right now, the Jordan River's place of judgment. Guess what? God's going to call us up off, the, off, up off of this earth, and he's going to pull us into a place that is our promised land. God's going to call us Amen. home. Then devotionally, we looked at the fact that Scripture. Now, devotionally, what this means is this is how, the, the, how it applies to me. How do I use it in my life? This is where the rubber hits the road. How do I apply the Word of God? So we saw here, not only is it reflecting to us the imminent return of the Lord, but it's also, more importantly, telling us that, guess what? We need to be ready. We need to be ready, always mindful of the fact that his return could be at any time, but also recognizing the fact that our accountability to God, 
We do what we do. We live this life with the accountability, the mindset that guess what? In a very near future, we're going to be standing before the Lord and we're going to give an account of the life that we've given. So we want to make sure that we're faithful when we do here. Come up, right? So that's what we talked about last week. So with that as our backdrop, what we're going to do is this morning, we're going to actually look at the instructions being fulfilled in the message this morning, which is titled, In the Midst. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, you know I've prayed over this scripture. And God, this morning as I was begging you, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, not to let me mess this up in any way, shape, or form. Please help me get out of the way, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts, God. The human element must be removed so that we can hear from you. And God, I just thank you so much for the incredible word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the presence of the spirit of God that dwells within us. And Lord, I do pray that you'll use it in our lives today. Lord, help us speak to us and help us to receive not only what you have for us, Lord, but what it is you intend for us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Simple little verses, but we're going to see a whole lot in them. Um, Joshua, therefore, commanded the priest, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. Verse 18 says, And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, that the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. So we see here in this uh, with our understanding of the three applications, what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage or we're going to kind of take it apart this morning. And this first part in verse 17, it says, Joshua, therefore commanded the priests, saying, come ye out of Jordan. What's interesting is that word therefore. What is therefore telling us? It's Joshua, therefore, based upon the fact that Joshua has just re- received instruction from the Lord, everything that's going to follow immediately after this is because of those instructions. That's the, the therefore. And what we find is everything that's going to take place, it's all a matter of Joshua being faithful to fulfill what God's asking of him. So the first thing we look at this morning, the results of God's command is Joshua's faithful obedience. Number one, Joshua's faithful obedience. None of the events would take place without his submissive and his obedient heart. You see, with Joshua, and this is a great example for you and I, a great example, Joshua has no agenda. Joshua brings nothing but a willing heart. You see, he's patiently waiting on the Lord. He's not making any decisions on his own. He's trusting the Lord and allowing God to guide him. He has a great take on his service to the Lord. What is he doing? He's going, you know what? Hey, I don't have any preconceived notions. (laughs) Lord, I don't bring a timeline. And I don't have any limitations. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. He simply shows up with the mindset of saying, you know what? I desire to be used, right? And a biblical example of that is is a vessel, okay? A vessel is nothing more than a container, okay? So this would be a vessel, anything that holds anything. Listen to Paul explaining to Timothy, okay? What we're going to be, as we look in Timothy, we understand, first of all, as Paul's talking to him, what he's just dealt with is the fact that, guess what? There's a lot of people saying a whole lot of stuff around Timothy. And Timothy could easily get drawn into doctrinal arguments and instruction. He could get drawn into the world. And he's saying, look, Timothy, don't lose sight of why you're here. You keep focused on the gospel, okay? That's what he's just telling him. Now, here in verse 20 and 21 of 2 Timothy, he says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, one being clay. And some to honor and some to dishonor. So there are some cups that are worthy to be used and there are other cups that, guess what? They're not worthy to be used. Verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, right? He cuts himself off from the world. 
he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. When you see the word meet, that means worthy. He's saying that this vessel has been sanctified. It's been set apart. And what happens is this vessel is clean. It's ready and it's prepared to be used. But see, the vessel does not determine what goes in it. Right? It doesn't have a say. I can put coffee in here. I can put milk in here. I can put water in here. I can put soup in here. I can put a bunch of worms in here. I can put dog poo in here if I wanted to. I can put anything I want. (laughs) This cup has no control. It's all up to me. It's simply a vessel that can be used. Do we see the picture in this? Right? What's God telling us? Most Christians would say, hey, man, do you want to be used of God? Absolutely. Would you like to be a vessel for the Lord? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I would love to be a vessel for the Lord. I'd love to be a vessel fit for the master's use. But how many of us have expectations? Right? Lord, you know what? Hey, (laughs) I feel like, you know what God wants to do? I feel like God wants to use me to do blank. And then we fill in, fill in the blank. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a, you know, a disciple, or maybe you're a ministry leader, a counselor, who knows what. Maybe something where we want people to hear us. And then maybe we're on the other end of that, which is kind of, that's where I was. Where we go, look, I don't want to be seen. <laughs> I don't want to be heard. I'm really good at being the guy in the background who would love to support those that would do the work. But you know what? I think that for me, I'm more the guy that's going to be back here. On either side of the spectrum, we are coming into this relationship with God and we're determining, hey, God, I believe this is what you should do with me, right? We're telling him what we should do with our lives instead of waiting on the Lord to direct our path Amen. and to guide our steps because God always has a plan. But then not only do we have expectations, but guess what? Then we bring our limitations. Oh, yeah, right? God, you know what? I will serve you As long as I don't have to uh, go there or do this or do that, right? Right. We're going to place a limitation on him. You know, God, hey, I'll give. I mean, I'll be a faithful financial giver. As long as it doesn't affect my lifestyle, that is. Right? Right. God, I'll give you my life. As long as it doesn't involve my suffering. Right? Right. And if we're really honest with ourselves, that's kind of the way we think. And many times we'll voice it. (laughs) we'll pray to God and we'll say that to him. But we don't see this with Joshua. And we sure don't see it with our Joshua, right? When we think about the Lord. Listen to what Matthew records. Okay, now what I'm getting ready to read in Matthew 26, this is just after Jesus has confronted Peter, okay? He's told him that before the night is over, he's going to deny him three times. And Peter's just blown away by it. This is how Peter responds. 26, 35 through 39. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, Yet will I not deny thee. Now, Lewis, he says that. All the disciples are listening. Hey, Lord, us too. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Everybody's like, you know what? Yes. Come, hell or high water, Lord. We'll die with you. We will not deny you. Man, that sounds good. And I think they're all about it. They believe it in this moment. Are they sincere? Yes. In their flesh, they're sincere. But if you know the story, mm-hmm. right? Well, when reality strikes... And a couple hundred soldiers show up, well, it's off to the races. You know what? Because, listen, within three hours of that commitment and willingness to die, listen to what's recorded in Matthew 26, 56. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophet must be fulfilled. Then all the disciples 
all the disciples forsook him and fled. So literally within three hours of the dedication, we will die with you. That turned into every man for himself, run for your life. Right? Three hours. We're committed to the last breath of our life. You see, they didn't voice their expectations. They didn't voice their limitations. But they still had them. Right? Lord, I'll give you my life as long as it doesn't involve my suffering. Just like us. Because guess what? They're human. But, you know, we don't see that attitude with the Lord. Continuing Matthew 26. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Right? No matter the circumstance, no matter the suffering, Lord, I will be faithful. And see, not only do we see it with our Savior, but throughout Scripture, we see people that said, you know what, men and women who said, I'll risk my life, I'll put my life on the line that God's will would be accomplished. Think about people like Moses who challenged Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. He put his life on the line. Think about Noah facing the flood. David confronting Goliath. Consider Esther putting everything on the line to stand before the king. Think about Daniel in the lion's den risking everything. Stephen, who went to face the Sanhedrin, knowing what they could do, and they killed him. Think about Paul. Paul, who suffered physical abuse, captivity, torture, and ridicule, ultimately to be beheaded. They knew what they were going into. They didn't have any expectations. They didn't have any limitations. They said, God, you have my life. And see, it's not only these people that we see, but also throughout Scripture, throughout, throughout, throughout the history, the church, There have been millions of Christians who have died in the name of Jesus Christ because they said, you know what? I place no limitations on my service. Lord, I give you my life. And yet the Christians of today, the Laodicean church age, we get bent out of shape if our faith even causes us an inconvenience. The little bit, smallest amount of discomfort. Man, you know what? I don't know about that. Maybe I need to keep my mouth shut. It's amazing. But you see, Jesus, or Joshua, who is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture, is a picture of faithful obedience. And it's because of his faithful obedience that the people will be standing in the promised land. So next let's look at, consider number two, Joshua's clarion call. Come ye up out of Jordan, he says. Joshua is calling his faithful priests who are there holding the ark. Notice he says not only to come up, but it says up and out of the Jordan. Come up and out. And we saw last week that there's no doubt that the rapture is being pictured in this aspect of come up. Our Jesus, man, he is going to come call us up, no doubt. But at the same time, I think that he's also at the same time in this scripture telling us that we're to come up and out of this world. Because while we are here, we're not supposed to be a part of the world. But we are 
in the world. What this means is that you and I are to separate ourselves from the world's influence. We're constantly being influenced. It's all around us all the time. It's attacking our emotions. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, with the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, one that doesn't believe? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of God. Okay? So look at what he just said. Be not equally, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does that mean? Okay, who's ever been to Cracker Barrel before? Okay, most of us, right? Love that place, man. Um, Biscuits, all that stuff. I can eat there all day. Anyway, but when we go to Cracker Barrel, a lot of times we can look on the wall and you see this thing, it's like a horseshoe-shaped deal that's made out of leather. That's a yoke, okay? What they do is they place that over a horse's neck or over an oxen's neck. It sits like this, and there'll be a board between the two, and they have two of them, and they hook those two animals together. And when the guy sits on the cart, those two animals pull as one. But if one animal wants to go left and one animal wants to go right, however that works out for you guys, that's my action, my left anyway. Um, but if they want to go opposite directions, and this one pulls this way and this one pulls this way, guess where the cart goes nowhere? Right. See, so saying if you're unequally yoked with an unbeliever and they're going, hey, you know, I'm not going to follow God. And you go, well, I'm going to follow God. Guess what? You're going to be stuck. Yeah. So what he says, you know what? You know, maybe going in the same direction. So I look at that and I go, okay, well, how do I know if... if if that's my problem, am I, am I yoked to the world, to unbelievers? Well, he defined it for us in those three verses. Listen, are we in fellowship with the world? Are we in fellowship with the world? Have we befriended a worldly perspective? Have we befriended a worldly perspective? Because of that, do we think that the way that the world thinks? Do we see things from a biblical perspective? Or do we have a tendency to see them from a worldly perspective? Are we in communion with the world? Communion, right? What is that? Communion is coming together, man. Intimacy. Do we look forward to spending time under the influence of our sinful culture? Most of us go, oh, no way, no way. As we embrace ungodly behavior? Maybe not even as participants. Maybe not actively doing it. But just as observers, as we're on TikTok, or we're on Facebook, or we're on YouTube, right? Or we're, we're watching something, uh, watching a movie, we're watching a TV show. I know the language is atrocious. I know the stuff that they're doing is inappropriate. But you know what? Just, I'm, just, I'm just watching it. What's the big deal? Do we spend our time communing with the world? Are we in concord with this world? Concord means in harmony. Are we in harmony with the world? Are we harmoniously living with godlessness? Because we don't want to be offending anybody or seen as intolerant. So in order to not be intolerant, what am I going to do? I'm just going to be in harmony with a worldly perspective. Are we giving this world a part of our lives? Right? It says don't give part. Is there a part of us and this is hard, that we've set aside for sin? Is there a part of us that we've set aside for sin? Because we look at our lives and we go, don't I deserve just a little bit of fun? Can I just slip that in? 
Can I tell you if sin is still fun to you, you're not a Christian? I don't care what you call yourself or how you try to convince yourself. A Christian means we're Christ-like. We look like Him. Jesus had no sin. So if I have a place in my life for sin, I don't look like Him. I don't care how well we hide it. Don't try to convince anybody. Look, that's what Jesus says. Be hot or be cold. You choose. If you want sin in your life, live in sin. But if you want to be for me, you want to live for me, sanctify yourself from this world. How should we look? He tells us in Colossians chapter number 3. Listen. If then ye be risen with Christ, you're one of mine. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Amen. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. He says, look, your physical body, you should kill these desires, man. Give it up to God. When Christ, who is our life, he's the reason why we're here. When he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. He's talking about the rapture, man. He's talking about the fact that we're going to stand before him. He says, look, do these things because you have the understanding that you're going to stand before the Lord. You're accountable. Mortify, therefore, your members. Kill this flesh which are upon the earth. And now he lists some really awful sensual desires, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, these lustful, burning desires. Cut yourself off from the world and its fleshly, sinful influence. That's what he's telling us. But then we go, okay. But I mean, I had those feelings sometimes. I mean, sometimes I just, I got them in me and I can't help it because this flesh, you know what? Sometimes it just wants to do what it wants to do. How do I deal with this? How do I address my flesh that sometimes wants to be drawn to these things? He tells us. What does verse number two say? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So what has our affection? Is it the world? If it's the world, then we're going to always deal with our flesh. But if it's the Word of God, if it's a walk with God, if it's sanctification, man, if this is what you desire, guess what? You won't have to deal with it like you do otherwise. God will step in for you. It's amazing how He does this. Verse 6 is this. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. God is going to judge this world. Christian and non-Christian, we're all going to stand before Him. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. Look, that's where you come from. I know it's hard. This is where you used to be. But now ye also put off all these. He said, look, you have those lascivious issues, all that issue there, those lust issues. Now put these off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds, that you no longer act like, you no longer look like, you no longer sound like the world. People should see a difference in us. Not because we're putting on a show, but because we're sanctified unto God and because we seek those things which are above. God will see, people will see a difference. Verse 10, and having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, the word of God, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What he's saying is that if you will set your affection on things above and not on the earth and you'll pour yourself into this word and living for him, what will happen is, guess what? You're going to start to look like him. Start to take on the image of Christ. So we don't give the world a part of our lives. And lastly, are we in agreement with the world? Remember, verse 16 said this, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Do we agree with the thinking of our culture? 
that's standing up for God and his word is unkind and it's hateful and intolerant. Listen, our job, we have to have the heart like God does. That's what we're called to be. That means that we love the sinner, but at the same time, we hate the sin. God loves all of mankind, but he hates our deeds. And it's okay to hate someone's deeds, but we must love the person because we'll never reach them with hate. Never. We've got to reach out to them in love. Listen to this described in Jude. In the book of Jude, in, 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 in verses 22, 20 through 23. What you're going to see here in Jude 20 through 23 is God dealing with us. First 20 and, uh, 20 and 21, he's talking to us. And then 22 to 23, what he wants us to do. But ye, beloved... Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Work on you. Refine yourself. Sanctify yourself in the world. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the word and the attitude and heart of the Lord. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Listen here. This is what he expects of us. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Compassion. The Lord had compassion upon the world. When we go out, God's going to put people in our path. And when he does, we need to have a compassionate heart, not so eat up with ourselves or so consumed with the world that we lose sight of what God's giving us an opportunity to do. Our life should impact those around us, making a difference, it says. Listen to the next part. And others, save with fear. Listen, I might look in someone's life and I go, man, what a mess. What a mess. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're caught up in this. And I'm fearful to get involved. But we save with fear. You know what God says? You know what? I'm calling you to be a part of their life. Have compassion upon them. Look at this next part. Pulling them out of the fire. Listen, if Michael goes to a fire because he's, I mean, Michael's a fireman. He not just randomly do that. But if Michael, if Michael goes to a fire, right? If Michael's in plain clothes, I can promise you he's wearing what he is today. And he were to go down the street and see a house on fire. He heard somebody crying. He would run and reach into that fire. And he would grab them by the hand and he would pull them out. It says pulling them out of the fire. That means that he's going to get burned with them. But because he has compassion in his heart, he does it, right? That's what it's saying. When we look in people's lives and it's a mess and they're on fire with their sin, he says you've got to be willing to reach into their life. And if you do, it's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to maybe even hurt you. But you know what, guys? You've got to be willing to do it. Reach into people's lives. And what happens? Hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I can look at their sin and I can hate it. It can make my stomach turn. And I look at their flesh and it's riddled with disease and pain of sin and evil. And yet there's a soul in there that needs the Lord. And God can wipe away all those spots and clean them and make them like new. But many times he needs hands and feet of human beings to reach out. So they're, they're filthy with their sin. If we've kept ourselves in the love of God, then we'll do what it takes to rescue them from the fire that awaits. And we won't be in agreement with this world and keep silent. No. We'll speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Again, if we'll do these things, he will conform us to the image of of our Savior. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 16, we pick back up there. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. So if we will cut ourselves away from these things of the world, we'll, we'll sanctify ourselves unto God and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, because of what we just heard, come out 
from among them. Remember, he said, come up out and ye be, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Touch not the unclean thing. And can we not picture Joshua calling those priests right now? Come up out of Jordan. Come up. And here they are. They're not touching the unclean thing. They're touching the cleanest thing. They got a hold of the ark of God, man. Listen to how God describes it in this verse in particular. Notice here in verse 18. And it came to pass from the priests that bear, notice this, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Before, many times it's just mentioned as the ark of God, the ark of God, the ark of God. And here he goes, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Not just the ark, not just the ark of God, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the word of God, man, the ark of promise. And these faithful priests, here they are holding up the word of God. They're committed to displaying his truth. And remember, they're risking their lives to do so. Remember, they're the ones that were faithful to step into the water. This raging river that was overflowing its, over, its, over its banks, they stepped into the water. They risked themselves, and here they stand. And it was at that moment when they did that. What do we see? We see the fact that God... Now, remember, and also keep in mind of this. The current, right? The current of the river. Guess where it's running? It's running down to the Dead Sea, right? The current of the river is running down to the Dead Sea. And you and I, in our lives, we've got to be willing to be like these priests and step into the current of our culture. Because you know where our culture's current is flowing down to? The Dead Sea. Death. It's flowing to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we'll be willing to do that, to fulfill and do what God's asking us. We'll be faithful and obedient. God will offer the lost world hope through the word that we display. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Also through the conversation of our lives, the way we live our lives. He's saying, come up out of this world's influence. You're there for a reason This isn't just about you surviving. It's about me using you. And listen to the incredible promise in the last part of 6, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Or this is actually in Ephesians. It says, And will be a father unto you, and and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. So not only will the God of the universe, the creator God, not only will he accept us, with all of our failures and all of our faults and all of our Amen. failings. Amen. But he'll make us a part of his family. Amen. And I don't mean a distant cousin. <laughs> he says sons and daughters. Praise the Lord. Right? Thank you, Jesus. To where when I'm having a hard day, I can go to my father. Mm. And guess what? He can wipe away the tears and brush off the dirt and scoop us up into his arms kiss us on the forehead and say it's going to be okay. Listen to the, in Romans 5, 8 verses 15 to 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba, Father, Papa. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And as the children of God, we live with a confidence that the world does not have, a confidence and peace that no one can comprehend if you're not a part of this family. 
Because understand, Philippians 4, 7 describes it this way, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice it says, that passeth all understanding. Not some understanding, it passes all understanding. Meaning if you're not experiencing it, no one else can truly understand it. They just go, wow, unbelievable. Unbelievable. The world just goes, how could you possibly have peace in a moment like this? Passeth all understanding. That, this is God's promise, if we will answer his call. And this brings us to the third point. His faithful, the priest's faithful response. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. So these priests are responding to Joshua's call. They are doing exactly what it is that he asked them to do. Last week we got the instructions. He's now done what he's supposed to do. And now when in response, they immediately do exactly what he's asked. They come up out of the midst of Jordan, right? Now, we know from our study of the second point that this is literally talking about them coming up out of the world system. These priests are in this moment in the midst of the Jordan. So they're standing in a place that should be an overwhelmingly powerful and destructive river. Yet, here they stand, safe and dry because of faithfulness. They're in the midst of a place that should be destruction, yet they are safe and dry. Guys, this is picturing us. Listen, John 17, verses 14 through 16. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's talking about believers. Understand, this world, this place of judgment, this place of destruction, this place of of corruption, we're right in the middle of it. Not because this is where we're supposed to be, but this is where God wants us right now. We're supposed to be with Him, and we will be one day soon. But right now, we're here. Notice this in John 17, verses 14 through 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. They're not where this is not where they're supposed to be. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou should take us them out of the world. Not now, not yet. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That they might be sanctified and protected in this moment. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Right? These priests are where they didn't, shouldn't necessarily be standing in the bottom of a river. But because of the faithfulness and because of what God's asked of them, that's where they are. Here they stand, just like us, in a hostile place. A hostile place. And they are there because guess what? It is the will of God. Because God has a purpose for them being there. And can I just tell you that God has a purpose for us being in this world. Listen, we're not here for ourselves. We're not here just to survive until the end of this thing, to endure to the end. That's not what this is about. God has us here for a purpose. We're supposed to make a difference in the world. Philippians 2 verses 13 through 16 says this. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's doing His good pleasure in us. He's accomplishing His will. So we're here to accomplish His will and not our own. Now, whether we understand what it is or not, God has a plan. That's where faith comes in. We trust in Him. Because even there are parts of our lives that we might look at and we hate them. There's times in our life that when we think about them, our heart breaks over overwhelmed with pain. And we look at it and we want to say, why? 
As I've told you before, man, the question's not why. Because only God really knows why. But what we do have is the fact that we have the knowledge to know that God has a plan even in those times. Because listen, if that's our attitude, if it's why, it's horrific and miserable. But see, there's a difference. Our expectation, God's expectation is that we would ask what? As we search our hearts in the midst of our tribulation, and we say, God, what do you expect of me? What am I to do? What are your expectations of me in the midst of my tribulation? Good or bad? Notice the next verse, he says this, do all things without murmurings and disputings. The good ones, hey, celebrate them. But the bad ones, don't complain. You trust me because I have a plan even now. See, our times of of trial can be arduous and they can be miserable as we complain every step of the way. Why, 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 why? Has anyone ever been there before? I have. Does it not suck? Terrible. It's the worst. And it just seems to go on forever. What in the world? And we look back on it. If we've never gotten right, man, we're still struggling with this stuff from the past. But you know what's really cool? Is God works in our lives. Our greatest times of learning are our times of tribulation. Do you not realize that the greatest works that God does in people's lives is at their lowest points? How many of us came to God because we were having a wonderful day? Man, I just realized how awesome I am. No. We came to the realization of how horrible we are and what a loser we are and what a, what a, what a, what a, what a filthy creature we were. And we looked within our own hearts and God said, you know, this is who you really are. And we're like, man, I never want to see that again. Holy moly, Lord. Man, I never want to see that again. But yet, he said, even though that's who you are, guess what? I love you anyway. Amen. And I'll restore you right now. Faith grows in the valleys of life, not on the mountaintops. Faith grows in the valleys of life, not on the mountaintops. And yet none of us want to live through valleys. Isn't that a shame? Greatest teachers are in the valleys. But see, if we can have that perspective, we can embrace who it is we are to be in Christ in spite of our circumstances. What's so amazing is the fact that God not only will teach us in those times, but he'll use us. (laughs) And suddenly you start to fulfill the reason why you're here. As Philippians 2 continues... That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He says, I know where you are. I know you're in the midst. I know you're in a terrible place. I know it's a crooked and perverse nation, but I have you there for a purpose, because among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And how do you shine? Holding forth the word of life. Your life speaks volumes to the lost world. Your willingness to go through tribulation and be able to deal with it with grace and with kindness and forgiveness speaks volumes to the world. Your willingness to hold to the word of God and stand upon truth and live it speaks volumes to the world. You're here for a purpose. Then notice the wording that God uses with the priest's feet. He said in that verse that they were lifted up onto the dry land. And that's an interesting way to talk about stepping onto dirt, right? Lifted up onto dry ground. What's interesting is I looked up the ver- that, that phrase, lifted up. It shows up 127 times in the Bible. And I'll tell you, I read all 127 verses. 
And what's really cool is it really just shows you two things. One, if it's motivated by carnality from man and it's driven by lusts and flesh, which shows and reveals lifting up is a destructive thing that's always negative. But when it's motivated by God being lifted up, guess what it does? It brings glory and honor to God. And we know this is God's instruction, so they're lifting up, right? This lifting up is a picture. And we see also in this is there's another little detail, the dry land. And what's cool about the dry land? Again, I did a little study on dry land. And I did an extensive study that I'm not going to share with you today because we would be here for another 30 minutes if we did. But what's so cool is dry land is a picture of God's redemptive power of deliverance. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So here we see lifted up and dry land both pointing to the same thing. It's so cool. So as these faithful priests come up out of the riverbed... The waters are going to return. Okay? That's what it says. Here's verse 18. That the waters of Jordan returned unto their place. There's a study there as well. I'm not going to get into it. And flowed over all his banks as they did before. As they did before. If you see the holding back of the waters, this is a cool thing. It's picturing the age of grace. It's picturing for us the age of grace, which is where we are right now. Okay, God, right, here we stand. We're in the midst, right, right here. And God's judgment is being held back, right, held back. And the Bible says in the Bible, it says in Ephesians, in, in Revelation, it says that God is storing up his wrath, right? So here we are standing in the midst. And because we are where we are, the waters, the judgment is being held back upon the earth, But as soon as believers are caught up out of here, guess what ends? The age of grace. And guess what comes back? Judgment comes upon the earth. And what did it say? The waters came as they did before. Because guess what? God judged this earth before. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to judge it again. And you and I are where we are. In the time that we are. Right? And we look at this and we go, man, why do I have to be born now? When the whole world is just going into the pooper. I mean, my goodness gracious. <laughs> Society, family, everything's just falling apart around me. Why do I have to live now? Why can't I live back in the 50s and be like, oh, hey, leave it to Beaver. <laughs> right? We want to live back there, but you know, why now? Why now? Why do I have to be here? And guess what? God has us here for such a time as this, as he told Esther. Because guess what? Mordecai, when he told her that, he said, look, you're the only one. You're the only one. And guess what? You're the only one for some people you're going to meet. You're the one God has intended for them to meet that they might hear the truth of the word of God and see what a Christian really looks like. Amen. That's what God's trying to tell us. He's trying to open our eyes. The age of grace will be over and the time of judgment will return. Yes. And listen, soon enough, God's going to call us home. It'll either be by the rapture or it'll be by the grave, one way or the other. He's going to call us. And see, until he's done that, and he's called us, understand, right now he's called us up and out of our culture. Every day. Every day. We can be in the midst and be a part of the world, or we can be there as a witness of God to the world. That's 
the reason why we're here. And see, when he calls us out, the question is, will we be found worthy? Will he find us doing what we're supposed to be doing? 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 10 through 12. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Notice the last three words, in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, that you would be found worthy and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, that he would fulfill what he wanted to and the work of faith with power. He would do it through your life that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, why are we here, may be glorified in you. That's what it says, may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, look, I'm coming back to get you. And if it was today, if it was today, and he was to call you home, would it be finding you as a sanctified saint who is in this world but not a part of the world because you are an image of the shining glory of God? Is that what he would call you out of? Or is it possible he might call you up out of the darkness because you've lost your way in the midst? There are many Christians Safe people that are caught up in this world. Amen. They don't make a difference. They just blend in and look just like everybody else. And that's not what God's called us to be. Right. right now, we're in the midst. God's holding back judgment until he calls us home. Let's not be wasting our time trying to look like this world. When we hear that call. Because remember, we'll all stand before him. Guys, I love you. And I know this sometimes might be confronting, but I'm just telling you, God's beating me up when I'm doing these messages. And I'm not here to beat you up because I love you. But I want us to see us honor God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for your gift of your word and what you've shown us. God, you're so good. So patient, so long-suffering and kind, merciful. And Lord, I do thank you for your grace. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of salvation, the work you've done in my life and in my brothers' and sisters' lives. And I do pray that you'll help us. Help us, Lord, surrender ourselves to the, to the will and to the word. That you might, God, sanctify us from this world, God. That we might cleanse ourselves with the washing of the water of the word. That, Lord, we might present ourselves holy and acceptable unto you. Lord, you have done a work in this world through calling us. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to respond. Help us to refine our walk that we might look a little bit more like you. We won't do it through our strength. We'll do it through yours. God, thank you for being willing to work on us. Even after we're saved and we've been given so much, God, you're still willing to help us to take on the image of your dear son. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, listen. If God's dealing with your heart and you've got some issues in your life that you need to address and deal with, I beg you, deal with them. That's what today's about. Bring them to the Lord. Lay them at his feet. Give up this stuff of the world and take on the image of Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you don't know that you're saved, listen, you have that opportunity today. You can receive Christ as your Savior. Almost 20 years ago, I'd never heard anything about the gospel. All of it was just stories to me, but someone finally shared the truth with me. 
And they said, it's not a matter of a magic prayer or just believing in God. It's a matter of giving your heart to the Lord and trusting that he died for your sins. And right now, as he calls your heart, recorded, online, whatever this is, in order to respond, in order to receive the gift of God, all it takes is a willing heart. There's no magic ceremony. There's not, it doesn't involve me. This is between you and God. So as he calls you, and as he's calling you even now, in order to respond, all you must do is choose to receive the gift that he's offering. So their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it will not be the words. It's your heart God's listening to. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin, for the life that I've lived, and my failures throughout. I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose on the third day, proved you were God. I'm asking you right now to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's still.